Well, I think I always wanted to get to that point because I, I love, I love all types of romance and I feel like there's room for all types of romance. I just knew that somewhere in, in me was the ability to write a really great sex scene. And, um, so it just, it kind of, I had to wait until I got up the courage to be like, okay, I'm going to have to tell my mom and my sister that they're going to need to use some sticky notes on a few pages <laughs> to cover up the sex scenes and skip along. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Joining us today is Jillian Leota. Jillian is a Southern California native living in Kailua, Hawaii. She is married to her best friend has a three-legged pup with endless energy. You know what? I got to tell you, when I was practicing this, I kept going, she's married to her best friend, a three-legged pup with endless energy. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not right. <laughs> and actually, whoops. And so I'm like, I got that right. But now I'm like telling everybody how I did it wrong for like ever. Okay, anyway. And acts as a servant to two very temperamental cats. Jillian has authored eight novels in contemporary and new adult romance and has had her writing praised for depth of character, Strong Female Friendships, Deliciously Steamy Scenes, we're all about that here, <laughs> and Positive Portrayal of Mental Health. Her second book in the Cedar Point series, The Opposite of Falling, releases October 5th. Jillian, thank you for being here. Welcome to Steam Scenes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Super excited. So um, how long have you been writing for? Because that's a lot. that's kind of a lot of books. Um, well, I mean, in my personal life, just generally writing, I've been writing since I was a kid. Like, um, right. <clears throat> my parents actually sent me these books that I wrote when I was a kid, like the ones you write in elementary school and they actually have them bound. So it's this oh. nice little memento to have oh, from being a kid and writing, <laughs> you know, Detective Colette, which was my maiden name and, um, just really silly stuff like that. But um, and when it comes to writing romance, um, I've been writing since 2015 and I published my first book in 2016. So it's been an average, uh, I think the first year I wrote like one book, the second year was two, the third year was three. And then this year I'm hoping to publish four. So <laughs> it's just been, I've been increasing in productivity every year. <laughs> well, honestly, that output is kind of amazing. I mean, I started in 2013 with novels and 2013, I released one. Then 2015, I released a second one, only one. Then like 2017, I, like it was like slow, 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 but urban fantasy is like, I think a little bit slower than romance because you're like world building and, and stuff like that. Oh, but anyway, absolutely. It just takes me, it takes me so long to to get books done it's kind of i am always like in awe of people that can can like go for it you know that can write as you know so quickly you know i am really surprised at my output <laughs> i don't think i ever imagined i would be able to write this quickly um but i do think that it's 
it's one of those things where when I first started that first book, I didn't know that I could actually produce a full work. Um, and so it, it felt like it took like a really long time for me. Um, and so with each one, I got to the point where I was like, I want to see if I can get this, you know, the same quality done in this kind of shorter period of time. And, um, eventually I got to a point, I think my, the fastest book I wrote, I wrote in three and a half weeks and, um, that's the first draft, (laughs) but it, I was like, you know what? I don't need to get any faster than that. And, and honestly, I don't write books that quickly. There's only one I wrote them that, uh, I wrote that quickly. The rest, it usually takes me about two months. I mean, were you just writing night and day for three and a half weeks? I mean, that's a lot of words in a very short period of time. Um, I mean, I, I do feel like I was just writing all day long. (laughs) It was was definitely, it was before I had set up an office in my house and I was sitting out at the dining room table and I was just there all day long. And it was when I finally, I had finally started to track my word count, um, like every day to see what I was doing and what kind of what I was producing. And, um, it just became this like fight with myself. Like, can I do more words today? Can I sit here for a longer period of time? Wow. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try, I'm going to try that like little like internal competition and see if like, that helps my output. <laughs> so if you published in 2015, like when did you sort of make that decision? Like, you know what? I want to be a writer. Well, I mean, it kind of started with, um, I, I read a lot of romance, um, around a period of time when I was going through, like my, my dad had passed away and I was looking for an escape. Um, and romance definitely provided that for me. And I stumbled upon a a very familiar name in the romance world, Colleen Hoover. And, um, I read a blog post by her and she was explaining her own publishing journey and how she was writing at night and on weekends. And she published her first book, Um, and then as she was publishing her second book, her first one made the New York times bestsellers list. And I was like, I know it's just like, it's phenomenal how self-publishing has like changed the landscape of things and, and people can, you know, write these really quality works and put them out there and they're up against, you know, Stephen King and, um, but and holding I, their own, I want to add that absolutely. they're up against Stephen King and holding their own. And I think that's truly amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I read this blog post by her and it, it just encouraged me to just sit down and write. And I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with it, but I had a story in my head about a soccer goalie and her coach. And it just was speaking to me sat down and I wrote and it to that first book, I am fairly certain it took me somewhere around like 14 months to write. And I had to go back and make a lot of changes. And it was this like constant, you know, it's the life of a writer where you're like unhappy with everything and you have to go back and make lots of changes. But I hate everything I write. <laughs> I absolutely editing is so painful for me, especially when it's at the end with like the you know going through the copy edits and the proofing and stuff like that. That gets so painful. I hate everything I write. It's that term everyone uses: editing hell. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And um, but I I just decided you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna try this out and see how it goes. 
and I submitted my book through Amazon and I tried to like advertise for it. And, and I, my first book sold 25 copies, which I know is just all people that I know. Well done. <laughs> I think if you sell one copy, stand up and take a bow, frankly. <laughs> so just getting to that point is so friggin' hard. It, yeah. And it, it was, it was quite the journey. We were living in New Zealand at the time and I was working full time at a job that had, you know, on call hours and, you know, just all over the place stuff. So, um, yeah, but I, I think I just, it was mostly inspiration from saying this other author started with just a computer and wrote and decided to publish and is being successful. And I feel like it demonstrated to me that it was just about me putting my nose to the grindstone and producing a work that I was proud of and that that was enough for the first step. Um, so that's kind of what led me to actually publishing and, and beginning this kind of author journey. So I'm super curious because, you know, your first book took 14 and a half months, which I mean, granted it's the first book, the first book always, I think takes the longest cause you're just kind of trying it out. Right. I guess. And you're working full time on top of it. And, and so you've gone from like one book, 14 and a half months to a book in three and a half weeks. Was it, was it a struggle to write the first one? Do you think, or do you think it was just a matter of time and comfort and you know what I mean? Like to go from 14 months to three weeks is actually kind of like, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like some of it was, not knowing my own capabilities. Um, I think there is some real validity to the idea that you're all, always improving and you kind of get a better understanding of your own craft. Um, so when I was writing that first one, yes, there was limitations because I had a full-time job. Um, but at the same time, I, I wasn't as dedicated to it. It was more of this kind of fun hobby thing that I was doing on the side of my normal job. And now I work for myself and I'm, I write full time. And so I'm able to, you know, like the, the production of being able to put out four books this month isn't alongside of a full-time job. It is my full-time job. So that's why I feel like I'm able to give it the kind of energy and output that creates as many works as I, I do. So you had said that you found romance after your dad passed away because you needed an escape. Is that, so that, I'm guessing, drew you to the genre. What kept you there? I think I've just always been like a hopeless romantic. I was talking, <laughs> I was talking with my mom um, and because she's not a big romance reader. She loves historicals and she loves mysteries. And she was like, are you going to write outside of romance? And I always kind of thought about it and just, it never, like, it was never exciting to me. The idea was never exciting. And I think I just, I find being loved in life so valuable that it, it just feels like writing people who are finding like their true love and their like, you know, ultimate happiness or whatever, that just feels like an important thing to me. And so I think that's, I think that it's going to keep me here for a while. It doesn't mean I wouldn't, eventually venture out you know my husband and I play around with these post-apocalyptic ideas and um you know yeah. stuff about you know the young girl that saves the world so 
Um, we all have one post-apocalyptic yeah. era, I am convinced, <laughs> particularly after COVID. Yes. yes. <laughs> you got to write those. But um, <laughs> at the same time, I think I just, it, my mom said it. She's like, you're just such a romantic. I was like, I am. I just, I believe that being loved is so important when, you know, regardless of whether it's romantic or family or whatever. Um, but maybe, and maybe some of it is just because I, I love my husband so much that it's like, I want to write like different versions of us, <laughs> you know, oh like, my God. that is so sweet. Oh my God. I love that. My husband would marry me all over again if I said that. <laughs> But I'm not going to. <laughs> How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married for nine years. Uh, we just celebrated nine years in June. So oh uh, we've been together for 12 and a half, 13, right in there. And that he's pretty so wonderful. Cool. That is so cool. So it's like every every novel you write has some like element of your relationship or your room or your romance in it or well he you know what's really funny is so he serves as my beta reader so he's the first one to read everything I write and he I hear him like laughing out in the living room and I'll like peek my head out and he just he's like I can just I he sees the little pieces of him that I write into each of my my heroes um you know whether it'll be like a thing that he has said to me that's made me laugh or a topic that we were talking about recently will like pop up in, in my storylines. And yeah, I just, he's like my ultimate book boyfriend. And I feel like I just write him oh. over and over again. <laughs> this is so sweet. Oh my God. I absolutely love this. So, you know, and I was going to ask this later. So I'm just going to ask it earlier in the pod. Like I was going to ask it after we talked about your scene, but this is kind of actually a really great opening now knowing that your husband is your beta reader which my husband like read like beta read all my urban fantasies he won't touch my romance which is really <laughs> kind of funny he's like yeah no I don't need to read that and I'm like come on no he's like nope so one of the things that I the the scene that you gave me that I'm going to read was a sex scene from a male point of view yeah and I thought oh my god this is so interesting and unusual I think, I mean, with the romances that I read, and maybe I'm just not reading enough, but I don't think I've ever, or at least I can't remember reading a full sex scene from the male point of view. Like, you know, maybe we'll get the, a little bit leading up to it. And then there always seems to be like some sort of a fade to black when it comes, when, when the male's point of view is on the page. Gotcha. And so I'm sort of like would love to talk to you about that process of writing the male point of view, especially an intimate scene. Yeah. You know, I feel like, I feel like I kind of get into a zone for like how my, my hero is thinking or acting. Um, and so it doesn't feel like a huge shift when it comes time for a sex scene. Like, um, when I, w I was attending the Romance Writers of America conference recently, and I was listening to one of the presenters talking about intimacy, and she said that it seems like a lot of people struggle with writing sex scenes and that they'll write, you know, like in bold red sex scene and then they'll move on. And I always thought that was so fascinating. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I thought it was fascinating because I have to write in order, have to, because if I'm writing something and I change even just some of the interaction, some of the dialogue, 
it feels like it changes the characters a little bit. And so I, I have to write in order. So if I get to a point and I feel like I am not mentally in the right place to write a sex scene, I will take a break and I will come back to it the following day because I have, I can't keep writing. Like I can't skip over it and come back to it later. Um, because whatever happens in the sex scene is going, in my opinion, for these characters is going to have a ripple effect on what happens next for those characters, because I'm, I'm not a plotter. I'm a pantser. Um, so when it comes to writing my male characters, if I'm writing from their perspective and it feels natural for a sex scene to occur, it, it just kind of flows out no different than writing dialogue, no different than writing, you know, observations at the lake or whatever. So I, I, I feel like I'm able to kind of get into somewhat of a male point of view. Now, in my strong opinion, no romance writer actually writes a male point of view. <laughs> I feel like no matter what, as male as we want it to be, it's still like the ideal male point of view, you know, it's still like the, yeah. So yeah, I think I, I agree with the one thing that sort of happens when I'm reading the male point of view in my head, right. Is that all of a sudden the character, the, like my, the character in my head takes on this very deep voice, but it's a very deep, thick voice, kind of like when female, audible you know female <laughs> readers take on the back you know and i got it and i have to tell you like i did not that voice did not come up when i was reading your 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 section and and i was like and that told me that like your male protect like your male voice is very clear and very strong because I didn't need to add in the deep voice. You know? <laughs> to yourself that it was a man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to have the, the baritone in my head as I was reading it, and I and I thought that that completely fascinated because I don't write male point of view. I don't think I do it well. I've had some readers kind of not really complain about it, but sort of say, "I really wish that I had had this other point of view." And I feel like, well, that's my failure as a writer. I should be able to sort of like write the female character so that that male point of view is not needed. But sometimes I'm like, you know what, it would be really nice to be able to write the male point of view. So it will clarify the story even more for the readers, but I just can't do it. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, my, my very first book was a single point of view. It was just from the heroine's perspective. And I always like, I, I really liked that book. I feel like it's perfect exactly the way it is, but there's a part of me that always wishes I had taken the time to write the hero's point of view because there's so much meat there. There's so much story. And I think that is kind of why I always write dual point of view now. And I really do think, <laughs> I know I've mentioned my husband already, but I really do feel like the way that my husband and I communicate lends me to have a fairly good perspective on what male thinking looks like. And I mean, he's not an alpha male by any means. And he'll admit that, you know, like he is like the, the soft doughy beta male. Like he is just, just, just a total sweetheart and very kind and loving, but he is still a guy. And, and I don't want to like stereotype or lump everybody in, um, but 
we have these long in-depth conversations about life, about things, about what's on his mind. And we've been doing that for almost 10 years now. So it feels like I'm getting a good kind of deep dive into the male psyche to some degree. And so I feel, I feel like that's legitimately helped me in honing a male voice. Now I have had instances where I was writing a male voice and it felt kind of wrong or off. And so I've had to restart writing that male character because it just wasn't doing for me what I had intended for it to do. So it's not like I can just sit down and write a man with no problems. Um, it's always a developmental process, but I, I feel like having my husband not only be someone who talks to me a lot all the time, but also someone who reads and is able to say, Ooh, Hey, have you considered having the man do this in the book? Um, he'll like pop in one or two of those with each book to be like, have you thought about this? I'm like, Ooh, that's interesting. And sometimes I'll take it and sometimes I don't. Um, but I feel like it's very helpful to have a man's perspective on the book before it's finished. Is he a writer as well? He's not. No, he actually hates writing. <laughs> it's oh. like, his, he is like the anti, you know, like he, he just does not like writing anything. Anytime something needs to be written, he asks me to do it. Like whether it's cards to people or <laughs> whatever. So, um, but he, he has really gotten into reading over the past, I'm going to say like three or four years. Okay. And, um, obviously, <laughs> well, not obviously, but I don't know that he would ever read romance, but he really likes mine. And that makes me, swoon you know because he's always, swoon. <laughs> he's willing to sit down and and read my my stories and it just it's just a wonderful thing he's pretty that great really is. that really is oh my god I'm so I that I'm so happy that you have that that's really cool like that uber supportive husband who like is your beta reader it's <laughs> so great I love it just a really quick anecdote this is like one of my favorite things that has ever happened um we went to book bonanza in 2019 in Dallas Texas which is like the big it's like a big romance book signing and Danny came with me as my like as my second person, cause I bought two tickets and he was one of maybe four men in the entire 2000 person conference. And there was always like the head nod between the guys as they pass each other in this massive room. But we were in an elevator and one uh, with another woman and she looked at Danny and she's like, you having any fun? And she's being sarcastic and he's like, Oh, I'm having a great time. You know, this is really important to her. And it's really cool to see, you know, everyone here so passionate about something that my wife loves. And the, oh the, woman, the woman in the elevator, her mouth dropped open and she goes, there are not enough blowjobs in the world I could give my husband to make him say something like that. <laughs> and that is just one of my favorite moments ever. <laughs> that is fantastic did your husband's t face like turn all red or he's like seen it all done no, it, all, it all at that point and he's just like yeah yeah he, he had a really good laugh at it like he's one of those guys who makes lots of inappropriate jokes so he okay. wasn't uncomfortable or anything he just we just both burst into laughter it was so perfect, <laughs> perfect. he was such a good sport that whole weekend 
<laughs> oh my god, that is fantastic. So okay, quick. So we're going to talk about sex. We're kind of talking about sex now. We're really going to talk about sex. Yeah. What, for you, what makes an intimate scene good? I feel like there's a lot of different things that make an intimate scene good. And I don't know. I I feel like a lot of what makes the intimacy so good is everything but the intimacy, if that makes sense. So like all of the like build up to the moment that, you know, the, the two characters or three characters or however you're writing it, get intimate, All, all the kind of angst and build up. There's the, um, the dialogue, like how they talk to each other in their intimate moments. There's as ridiculous as it might sound, the ability to get the choreography, right. You know, like if, and, um, I just feel like the, the types of words that are used to describe intimacy. Cause like, there's always words that people kind of like, like, I don't really like those words. So I feel like those kind of all mesh together to create a good scene of intimacy that makes a reader feel like this is natural. This is the next thing that should happen between them. I'm here for this. Get it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny because talking about the words that you're using when writing an intimate scene and it's sort of like, you know, I have to drag myself out of that comfort zone and use words that I find particularly cringy simply because you know, something I don't find cringy, somebody else might, you know, so it's like, and to try and, because you don't, want to use the same words and you also don't want to do like the euphemisms that become a little bit too cliche yeah yeah a little (laughs) bit too twee as we like to you know so I you know I (laughs) so I'm just kind of curious about that in terms of like to sort of step back and, and unpack that a little bit about about words that we use yeah I mean I definitely agree with you that picking words that like I wouldn't necessarily use (laughs) in like my normal daily life um, are, it's kind of, it's one of those things where it's all about your own comfort level and then what you think the hero or the, like what you think your characters would say to each other, what types of words they would have in their internal, you know, dialogue um, are, it's very important. And I have used words for characters that I would never use, but there's still not words that I cringe at. And that's the thing that I try to stay true to is that if, if I feel like a word is like, Lech, like I won't use that word because it takes away my own enjoyment of reading what I've written. Like for me, the C word, I can't use the C word because I, I just, I have such a negative reaction to it. Right. And when I'm reading romance, if someone uses the C word, it will actually pop me out of the scene. Um, and I, I can usually, I can usually, <laughs> I can usually get past it. No problems. But for me, because, because the, the men I write aren't necessarily kind of these alpha, you know, male right. dominant men, I don't necessarily see them using like, I, I honestly feel like I see them using it 
uncomfortably as if they, that's the only way I could see them using it is like if the woman wanted them to say something dirty and then they like say a dirty word and she's like, Whoa, what are you? (laughs) (laughs) um, I love the C word. It is like something that I will pepper into regular conversation um, where appropriate. (laughs) I've called people the C word in anger, Um, but I actually don't use it in my books because I do know it is one of those words that can provoke like, an extreme reaction from people. And it's just like, you know, that's the only word that I would say I'm pretty cautious with. Yeah. And my husband, like I said, we used to live in New Zealand and they use that Mm -hmm. word in Australia and New Zealand very casually. Um, (laughs) And so that was quite the adjustment. So I've probably like leveled down a little bit on, on my discomfort. Like I'm, I'm not as uncomfortable as I used to be, but Yeah. (laughs) yeah i've I've spent a lot of time among brits so that is where my the language (laughs) that's where that language comes from (laughs) (laughs) so when you wrote your first one which i'm guessing was with your soccer romance um, it it wasn't actually it wasn't no so not have an intimate scene in the soccer romance my first three books did not have any sex in them. Um, I grew up in a really conservative home and there was just this kind of like, I love reading romance. I, I love reading sex scenes. And, but there was this idea that my mom (laughs) was going to read this and be very uncomfortable. And so it took a while for me to get to a point where I could step past that. Um, so it was, like my first book was a new adult romance with kind of a fade to black. And that was my second one as well. And my third one, there just wasn't ever a time when it felt right. But the first book I actually wrote a sex scene in is this book, the one that you have the, um, the snippet for. And I love this book. Holy shit. Oh my God. That's, that's really wild. So what made you sort of decide to, what, what made you say, Oh, the hell with it. I'm going to write, I'm going to write that. Like where, where did that sort of switch happen? Well, I think I always wanted to get to that point because I, I love, I love all types of romance and I feel like there's room for all types of romance. I just, knew that somewhere in in me was the ability to write a really great sex scene and um so it just it kind of I had to wait until I got up the courage to be like okay I'm gonna have to tell my mom and my sister that they're gonna need to use some sticky notes on a few pages <laughs> to cover up the sex scenes and skip along um so Funny. Yeah. So funny. yeah I mean, honestly, because, okay, so as listeners will know, and they're just going to be like, shut up, Al, stop talking about it. The reason why I started this podcast is because I struggle writing my sex scenes. It's the thing that always takes me the longest, right? Like, I'll knock out a thousand words in an hour. When I get to the sex scene, it takes me all day to get 500 down. Like, I can't do it. And I am convinced that it is because. I was raised Catholic, and the only thing that we were Catholic about in my house was actually sex. So you, like, never talked about it in your home, right? Never talked about it. You didn't have sex before marriage. Didn't want to hear it. La, la, la. Like, it was, like, seriously, like, that conversation that we would, we never, ever had. And so I think that, like, I always kind of feel like 
my mom is like looking over my shoulder. <laughs> and everyone said to me, your mom is not looking over your shoulder when you're writing. And I'm like, I know, but, but, you know, it's, yeah. and it's, it's like this hard thing to kind of like overcome. Yeah. Which is, I mean, and it's great when I write it. I mean, honestly, it's been great and it's been freeing and it's been, you know, kind of like pushing me out of my comfort zone, which I think is awesome. But I do think it's something we do carry with us. Absolutely. I feel like the only reason, well, maybe not the only reason, but I feel like one of the reasons I'm able to get past it is because I had my mom and my stepdad and my sister in this kind of very conservative home that I grew up in. But I also had my real dad, uh, my biological dad, and he lived this very kind of wild life. Um, and ex it exposed me to a lot of really different types of people. Um, we had these, these conversations about really like deep social issues and like very liberal perspectives on things that were very different from the home I grew up in. So I felt, I felt like I finally, or not finally, but I felt like I got this kind of dual perspective of life from both the conservative and very liberal sides of things. And my dad was, um, a swinger and he had a sex dungeon and, um, you know, like he had women coming and going all the time. And so it was kind of this other world that he lived in that was like the stark opposite, but it gave me the ability to acknowledge sexuality without feeling like there was something dirty about it. Right. And, um, and that was a very, I feel like that has kind of allowed me to see the world in a very, very different way. Um, and I feel very lucky to have had my dad, um, kind of, I love it. Yeah. He was comfortable sharing this part of his life with you too. It wasn't something he was trying to sort of hold back from you or shield you from. Well, let me tell you when, <laughs> when you're in high school and you're out to dinner with your dad and he talks really loudly about the fact that he's trying out swinging, it doesn't feel as great. <laughs> <laughs> but as I got older, as I got older, I really appreciated the fact that he was a very, he was very transparent with me, very open right about just like exactly who he was. And I feel like that's such a valid and valuable like part of life is to just yeah. try and be exactly who you are with everybody. Don't hide yourself yeah. away. So yeah. yeah, he was a special guy. Yeah. It sounds like it. Okay. So do you have a particular process for writing it or no? Cause you're a linear writer, you go in order. And so it's just, when you get there, you get there. Or is there a process for you? I mean, I feel like the only process is that I have to be like in the right headspace. So if I'm like, if I'm starting to get tired at the end of the day and I'm like coming up to a sex scene, I'll take a break and I'll, I'll start it the, the next day. Um, but other than that, it's mostly just that I put on noise canceling headphones and I play music. I don't, I normally play music through like my speakers in my office, but there's just, there's something about like, I, I go back and forth between a couple different songs and they have a much deeper bass. <laughs> and, and I, so that's why I put on the noise canceling headphones. Cause I feel like it puts me in a different mood or a different type of mental space, I guess. Um, for Can you tell me what the songs are? Yeah. Uh let me hold on. Let me just open up my Spotify. Is it um and is it is it is it instrumental only or or is, does it have words to it? No, there's words. Um okay. so the two songs I kind of go back and forth with. Um I Know What You Want by Busta Rhymes and Mariah Carey. 
Um, Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, Body on Me by Rita Ora. I just feel like both of those have kind of like this, there's just a very sexual tone to them both. And it allows me to kind of like shift mentally to be in the space with like people who are getting ready to be intimate. Like I know some people watch porn and some people will look at, you know, like photos on their computer and that stuff never has really done it for me just because it all feels very false. Like it, it doesn't feel intimate. It doesn't feel natural. Um, and so those aren't going to be things that I search that I use to like find the right, mood or whatever for my my characters because there's sex and then there's intimate and I think when you're looking at the pictures when you're watching porn there's that sex Mm -hmm. and intimate brings it to another level yes I think that's worded perfectly like that's there's a total difference between watching sex to put sex on a page and creating an intimate moment between characters that you're hoping are reaching that happily ever after because that's what romance is right I feel like the the RWA guidelines for romance are that there is a happily ever after like you have to end that way so um I yeah creating that kind of intimacy between two characters requires more than being able to just like visualize two people you know one person penetrating another or whatever so I'm going to I'm going to read a bit from like a couple little bits from the scene that you sent me. Awesome. Um so and we can talk about each one. And so this is from Like You Wanted. Could you set this up for us first before I d- dive in? Where are we in the book? Where are we with these characters? Yeah. So we're about I'm going to say we're like more than a third of the way into the book, maybe closer to halfway. And the two characters, Finn and Carly, um, Carly is the downstairs neighbor and Finn's sister lives upstairs. So he's like constantly coming and going. And the two of them started off with this kind of enemies, you know, they were kind of bristly with each other. Um, but now they're kind of all friends and they are visiting Finn and the sister's family down in San Diego and they've used the pool that day and Carly is taking a, is getting ready to take a shower in one of the bedrooms that has an adjoining bathroom and Finn had left for a little bit and so he has returned and he has decided to take a shower so he goes up to use the same one and when he walks into the bedroom she is walking out of the bathroom naked to grab something off of the dresser um before she hops in the shower so that's kind of like where they're at and she like slips and falls on the ground (laughs) and like it's this whole it kind of starts this this conversation between the two of them because Carly wants they both like each other they both want each other but Finn is resisting and Carly doesn't understand why got it got it this was this was actually so charming so freaking charming (laughs) okay when I stay silent she places her palms flat on her face and mushes her cheeks growling slightly so cute it makes me laugh which i know isn't the right thing to do but i can't help it normally i can but i feel too raw right now my body is humming with desire and i she's right there and i just 
Why is it so hard for you to be around me? She whispers. Her words split something open inside of me because I know that even though she's directing this at me, it isn't just me that makes her feel this way. I've listened to her comments to Susie, heard what she said earlier in the pool about her family, thinking she's not enough. I sigh, rub my chin with my hands. It's not hard to be around you. Her brow furrows. Then why do you always treat me like you do? Like everything I do is... And then to my complete mortification, her eyes start to well up. Carly, I say, stepping towards her. I shake my head. You're amazing. You're smart and kind and funny and a great friend to my sister. I place a hand on the side of her neck, stroke my thumb along the side of her jaw, and stare into those glassy blue eyes that are worse, that are worse for my chest than stray bullets. <gasps> I don't mean for you to feel that way, and I'll try not, not to do things that make you feel that way. But you and me, it just isn't a good idea. Oh my God, this was such a sweet moment. This was such a sweet moment. And her, her worry and her fear was so palpable. And it was like, and I just thought, oh, like, I, I thought it was a really sort of fascinating way too to open an intimate scene with this level of vulnerability. Yeah, I feel like it works really well for her character because Carly is a very bubbly kind of like outgoing fun friends with everyone. She's like very transparent. She is exactly who she is with everybody. And so for her to be very vulnerable with Finn, it's almost like a natural thing for her, but Finn's character doesn't necessarily know how to handle big emotion. Like he, and so in all of his interactions with her leading up to this, it's always been like, like, Oh my gosh, she's, she's a lot (laughs) like, and he, he likes that a lot, but he doesn't know how to handle it. And so this is kind of the first time that he is responding to her vulnerability with words that kind of validate who she is. Um, And I feel like that's a good setup for the two of them to kind of step into an intimate moment together, because this right here is technically an intimate moment. You know, she's standing there with a towel being practically naked and vulnerable with him, like literally vulnerable um, and, and emotionally vulnerable as well. So I I just, I like that kind of juxtaposition of being both like emotionally intimate and physically intimate together. Well, we're going to sort of into the next section, which is not too far removed from this. And I thought her turn here was super interesting. So anyway, okay. So going to start reading again. I feel her touch like a shot of electricity through the very heart of me. Then she looks up at me, her eyes clear of tears, now filled with a bit of fear, but also brimming with desire. Whatever you're angry about, she says, her voice a whisper, take it out on me. I swallow hard, not certain I heard her right. Then she slowly opens her towel and drops it on the floor, revealing her naked body. My eyes fly around, trying to take it all in before it's gone. She steps into me again and rises up on her tiptoes, her tiny body stretching out along mine, her hands stroking up my arms. I feel like a bow pulled taut stretched to my limits. And then she presses a soft kiss against the base of my neck. Use me. It's those whispered words that have my resolve breaking and my mouth moving to connect with hers. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so he's giving in now. Yes. He's, he's definitely giving in. in now. <laughs> um, 
Um, and she as well, though, is sort of, it, it felt very risky here for her, for some reason, for me. It felt like she was taking a really big risk. Yeah, I think, and I feel like that's what makes her character special, is because she's constantly willing to throw out something new to try and reach people. And it's not not even just in this intimate scene with the guy that she wants. It's also in the relationship with um, her brother, which is a different part of the book. There's a relationship with her friend, which is um, his sister, Susie. And, you know, people have these moments where you can choose, like, I can push this. I can, I can try to be what you need me to be right now because I care about you, or I can just let you push away from me. And I feel like she kind of takes that, like, I can be whatever you need approach. Um, and she acknowledges multiple times through the book, how angry he seems. Um, but that he has this like softer layer underneath. And so I think she's kind of recognizing maybe it's this anger stuff. Like maybe, you know, maybe that's a way to kind of get through to him. And you'll see in the actual sex scene that he's not like an angry guy in the sense of like anything unfortunate, but, um, there is this kind of underlying layer of like holding himself back and being frustrated, not at anybody else, but at himself. Um, and it's interesting how it ends up coming out to play in their sex scene. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It, it actually really is. Um, I'm trying, it's the characters here were super layered. I will say like, you know, and even in the small, section, you know, it, the characters were super layered. And I know that, um, you know, you write, you, you've talked openly about your own mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. And as I've said in your bio, and, and from what I, you know, other things that I had read online about you, um, your work has been praised for positive portrayal of mental health. And so I sort of feel like, like what's going on with that in this scene? Is it Carly that is sort of struggling and has the veneer of positivity? or and Finn as well with his anger like they're like how how is this fitting into their romance so the the topic of mental health in this book specifically is more actually about Susie the sister oh, and the sister. okay and Finn him like as the the hero in the book um and kind of his own previous experience with a woman which it gives away a huge plot point. So I, okay. <laughs> I don't so want to give away yeah, too yeah. much. <laughs> he, there, there's a very like real topic of the importance of going to therapy to kind of dive through life experience and the way it, it creates our internal dialogue. And if we have had a poor, poor experience in life that has made us believe that we are a failure or that, you know, a, a number of a hundred of different things, then talking through what fuels that voice is so important. And that comes up later in this book for Finn, because his sister is in therapy for her own stuff. And she encourages him like, this is helpful for me based on what you've been through. It should be helpful for you too. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it plays into this book. And it actually, there's actually a scene where he talks to his therapist and he goes through like the emotions of 
dealing with what has made this kind of anger and frustration in his life and whether or not there's a place for that for him anymore. Mm, okay. All right. Interesting. Cause I do see a bit of it sort of playing out with her sort of saying, you know, why don't you like me? You know, what, what did I, what am I doing wrong? You know, and sort of, and then his anger and, you know, it's sort of there, the, that push pull dynamic between them, I thought was really like subtle, but very well done. Thank you. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. On to the sexy bits. <laughs> I'm so close. She pants out her face etched with ecstasy, her hands dropping lower to rest on my ass. Please. I shift angles to try and find the spot that's going to do it for her. And I see her eyes start to glaze over. Hey, Carly, are you in there? We both freeze at the sound of Noah's voice. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What the fuck is he doing? I watch her twist her hips and then clear her throat. Yep. Her voice is louder than I would have expected, but other than that, I couldn't even tell she was mid-fuck. I'm impressed. Her eyes stay glued to mine, and then her hand pushes, push, her hands push at my butt again, so I slip back inside her. I want to groan, but manage to keep my mouth shut by leaning down and sucking on her neck. The pizza's going to be here in about 10 minutes. Mom wanted you to know, but she said to take your time, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I pull out slowly, then creep back in, Carly's soft pants coming rapidly next to my ear. Sounds good. And then she rotates her hip again in a way that has my dick leaping inside of her. I'm so close. I can barely feel my feet. Does it turn you on to have someone listening? I whisper into her ear and she lets out a slight whimper. You okay? Noah calls through the door. I'm fine. She replies. I'll be down soon. Okay. I keep up my slow in and out, not switching to a hard thrust. We can't be sure he's gone. I whisper, feeling her tighten again. He might still be there wondering if you're okay but you're in here with me getting fucked hard in the shower. Harder, please, Finn, is the plea she makes on a strained voice, her body so close to coming that she looks like she could burst out of her skin at any moment. Her hands fly up to the top of my back and her nails scrape down the entire length of my back. Fuck it if he hears, I groan into her ear. Then I start slamming into her, our skin slap, slap, slapping with a wet smack as I pummel into her and take us both over the edge. She cries out, her voice at full volume for just a split second as she digs those nails, digs in those nails to the point where I'm going to have marks for days. I feel myself crest the peak and then tumble over after her. So I so startled, I think I go blind. The, plush, the pleasure, aggressive, intense, enough to steal the very breath in my lungs. Well, okay. So this was talking about stealing breath. Yeah. It was sort of like, it was like riding this wave with them, right? Like they're trying to be quiet and they get this interruption and then they have this, oh, fuck it moment. And then they come and it's like this sort of, it's like seriously like a roller coaster, like just those few paragraphs. And so yeah. I'm wondering, how did this interplay come about? I just, I don't know. I feel like, oh, sorry. My cat has decided to come in. Hello. <laughs> um, my, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I feel like a lot of things with writing for me, like I said, I'm a pantser, not a plotter. So it's just one of those, like, does this next thing, is that something that just popped into my mind? Does it feel natural? Does it feel right? And I kind of really liked this idea that Carly, who's like so incredibly talkative and always has something to say, is now kind of forced to be quiet by their circumstances. 
And that Finn, who's never the one to be talking, is now the kind of instigator. Um, so it was it was just kind of this, like, in an intimate moment, they both kind of become different. They kind of swap places, if that makes sense. And because I feel like nobody is the same person all the time as they are in bed, you know? Like, and and I feel like there's different parts of you that come out when you're being intimate. And a lot of that will depend on your trust in the partner that you're with. Um, and so this kind of willingness for her to let him take the reins and his willingness to actually take the reins and be in charge and be in control and be like the one who's kind of making the situation. Like he's talking, you know, constantly talking to her, even though she's supposed to be quiet. I just, I really liked that kind of play. Yeah, I did too. I really did too. I thought that was super fun and super unique way to sort of handle, especially a first love scene between them. There's, you know, there's an interruption. There's a, like, that was, I was like, okay, this is really kind of great. And they do, they do eventually have a sex scene that's like just a normal, you know, like sex between two people (laughs) in the shower after an argument interrupted by somebody. Um, But I, I felt like this was, it was just, it was fun to write and it felt right for their characters. Um, and the, the feedback that I have gotten about this sex scene is actually like, incredibly positive. Like people really like it. So that was, I was like, all right, I went the right direction with this. <laughs> yeah. I'd say so. I think you absolutely did. I think it was super fun to sort of, to read and like, you know, the, the cause I, you know, one of the things that a lot of, um, that's come up a lot with authors that I've been talking to for this is that, you know, sex isn't perfect. Yeah. You know, we have interruptions, we fall off the bed or the counter or the chair or wherever you might be, uh, you know, like, and, and so it's those little moments that like, you know, I have to remind myself to put that in that sex isn't perfect, you know? Um, and that's kind of also what makes it fun. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. That was actually earlier. You were saying like, what makes an intimate scene, like a good scene. And I feel like making it feel like it's real is such an important part. It's like the one thing I forgot to mention because like there are multiple times in books where I'll have characters having sex with each other and someone will say something and they'll laugh. And I just, I Mm -hmm. feel like, I feel like that's so real. It's such a natural thing. And you know, your point about like falling off the bed or like, you know, having like maybe a pet, like run through the living room and knock something over. Like I just like, those are real life things. And I feel like it, it makes the character so much more relatable if their intimate moment isn't perfectly structured without any interruptions, without any laughter, without any like weird sounds or whatever. And that's what we want. We want it to be relatable um, as readers. And so creating that as an author is so important. So you've got a book um, uh, that's just come out. Yes. October 5th. The Opposite of Falling. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, it's the second in a series. It is a standalone. Um, it's a Cedar Point series. So it's set in Northern California in this kind of fictional mountain town based off of a place I used to vacation when I was younger with my family. And um, 
this particular story in the series follows uh, Briar Mitchell, who is a part of the Mitchell family, which is uh, who the series follows. And she is back home living with her family at 27, and it's the last thing she wants. She was never the one who wanted to live in this small town. Um, and the hero's name is Andy Marshall, and he is the son of the grocery store owner. And he is Mr. I love the small town life. Uh, and it's it's about the two of them kind of becoming friends and then becoming friends with benefits um, before they kind of figure out that there might be something more there. Oh, wow. That's, that sounds actually really good. Um, what do, what is, do you usually write small town romances? Is that sort of where, what you gravitate towards? I don't. Um, this is my first small town series. Uh, and, but I just, the world felt very kind of dark right now. And I was like, I just want to yeah. write something that's a little bit lighter, very like romantic, and you can easily lose yourself in it. And that's, that's what I did with The Trouble with Wanting, which was the first book in the series. And that's what I've done with this one. And this one, I would say probably it's a little bit deeper than, than the kind of like lighthearted romance. Um, but it's still it still has that small town feel that I think is a perfect recipe for um, the crazy world we live in right now. (laughs) The place you want to get lost in is is the lovely small town. You know, it's so funny because I always feel like, um, you know, like, like, cause I only write series. um, And even though this, the romance series I have out right now is it they can be standalone it's still part of a series and i always feel like the second book goes deeper than the first with any series because i think that the i don't know like it sort of feels like the first one is doing so much work to build the world Mm -hmm. that it is hard to go it is hard to go really really deep into it yeah no i have all these other elements i totally agree with you on that one and it also feels like even though the other books within a series, they might be standalone, but you get so much more out of them if you read the full series, because you're getting all these like side stories and little quirks about other characters because Briar and Andy have both been introduced already in the first book in the series. Um, But you don't get those little interactions that she has with her brother, where it first introduces the fact that she's staying in town, even though, you know, she had always been the one who wanted to leave. And, you know, those, just those things that you don't get if you don't read the whole series. Right. Right. Completely agree. So cool. Um, so Jillian, thank you so much for doing this. this thank was you super fun. so much for having me. I didn't want to jinx myself by saying anything earlier, but it is my first time recording a podcast and <laughs> I feel, great. I feel like I did. Okay. Um, yeah. I asked my, my brother-in-law for some recommendations cause he does podcasting and I feel like he came through clutch. <laughs> oh, I'm curious. What did he, what did he recommend? Um, he was talking to me about microphones and headphones and, you know, having it like the appropriate distance away from my mouth and making sure that when I'm addressing the listener, that it's a single person and, you know, like just different types of things. So it was great. Yeah. That was really cool. Oh my God. I love that. We could all use, I could use a brother-in-law right now. (laughs) 
Well, Jillian, I'd love to have you back whenever you've got another sex scene you want to talk about. Um, I'm all ears. Absolutely. I'd love to be back. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.